Cool. So we're in the middle of a series uh, called uh, The Big Adventure, Following Jesus and How Not to Miss the Most Important Moments of Your Life. Following Jesus and How Not to Miss uh, the Most Important Moments of Your Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at the lives of the disciples, uh, Jesus' followers, uh, the, the sort of 12 people, and, and really today some of the extended community around them and how they when they followed Jesus and connected with him and and his relationship with him, what are some of the things in some of these biblical stories that happened sort of just for their eyes and just for them? Uh, What is it that Jesus wanted his disciples to know? Uh, They were all going to be people who were going to ultimately lead the church and take it into the future after Jesus uh, died and rose again. And it's going to be their place to kind of pick, pick up those pieces and and move forward with it. And so how uh, did they do that? Uh, what, how did he train them? How did he equip them? And the idea is, is that he equipped them for, for this incredible adventure uh, by, by partly just by letting them see and letting them, them follow. You know what it means to be a disciple is to, you know, when, when Jesus gets up, and that's what it meant in that time, uh, when Jesus gets up, you, you get up. When, when Jesus eats, uh, they would eat. When Jesus visits a village, they would visit... A village and, and discipleship and following Jesus in that time, in that space, was a literal moment by moment going where Jesus went, doing what Jesus did, following after Jesus. My, uh, my thinking, my, my belief as a person, my belief as a Christian is that Christianity, uh, to be understood in a really cl- crystal clear, simple way, isn't just about accepting Jesus' forgiveness, though it's about that. It isn't about spending eternity uh, with Jesus, though uh, it, it, is, it is about that. It's not just about that. But what it's really about for us now is for us to actually, literally, physically follow Jesus moment by moment, day by day in our lives. And that involves us getting to know him and knowing what he's like and and understanding who he is and building communication with him and doing an intimate relationship with Jesus so that we're connected in such a way that it's actually possible to follow because there's a little difference between what uh, Jesus' disciples do and and what we do in that Jesus is is now invisible. Just a small little detail. It's not as not as easy for us to, to do that, to connect with the sort of immediacy of his presence, but all the same, he is present to his church, and we could even say he's nearer to us as he dwells within us, right? Nearer than the disciples. So it's about really living lives that are focused around uh, that relationship. Um, and so what we're going to talk about is really what, what I think are some of these big, moments on the adventure, these really big moments on the adventure of, of being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I spent some time with a guy named Timothy Panic. He's uh, visited church a few times over the years from Costa Rica, a friend of Craig and Amber's, and I got into a brilliant conversation with Timothy just uh, Friday night. Uh, we're sitting around the kitchen table, and just uh, moment by moment, we're almost doing this conversation of boasting back and forth with God about things God has done in our lives. Like great moments. I remember that time my car was wrecked and Jesus directed me to the person who wrecked the car and I was able to go and hear their name and, and I mean it's a, a crazy story. I'm going to tell the story because I'm excited about it. I'm going to boast in this moment with the Lord. We were pastoring a church in northern Saskatchewan. 
uh, connecting with people on a Cree reserve up there and, and ministering in town. And I was in town at the bakery, parked on the street, and a car uh, sideswiped my car while I was in the bakery, and I came in, and all of a sudden I couldn't get into the door of my car. It was, it was smashed. We were, uh, we were just married for just a few, uh, a few months at that time. We were living in the middle of a place that we didn't know all of that well. Uh, we had, we're making $500 a month. That was our, our complete income as pastors. And, and our deductible on our insurance to fix this whole side swipe side of our car was like 500 bucks. It's just like not going to happen, right? It's absolutely not going to happen. And so I'm fretting and I'm worrying before the Lord. I'm like, God, what am I going to do about this? You know, some people pray, and, but I just worry in front of God. I just worry in the presence of God. That's what, I, that's what my prayer life is. And, uh, and, and, and we're pray, I'm praying, and just all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, just crystal clear as can be, God drops a name into my heart. A name, a, a, a name, and and I'm like, what does that mean? What is that all about? And so I opened up the white pages because there was no, uh, you know, we didn't have internet in that in that space. It was like in ancient days, ancient times, uh, before the earth, while, while the earth was still young, and uh, uh, opened up the white pages and found this person's name. And with my knees knocking and my palms sweating. I called this lady and I said, were you downtown earlier today and did you sideswipe a red Volkswagen rabbit and damage the door? Like I was scared, right? Like how crazy is that to, to hear something specific from God like that, right? And the woman bursts into tears on the other line, on the other end of the line bursts into tears and she's just broken like crying for a minute she says I, I hit your car I hit your car and uh, and relationship was built with this lady she'd actually been part of our church at one time came back to church uh, and started following Jesus again uh, she went to the police and confessed what she'd done to the car uh, helped us get it fixed uh, started attending church I went to court with her so that she wouldn't be charged uh, for for a hit and run all of that kind of stuff like Jesus built this relationship, right? And so this Timothy and I, we're just, we're just telling story after story of that, of God just encountering us and loving us and caring for us, like, like crazy adventures. I mean, I'm running away from secret police in Egypt. I, I've been in Guatemala. I've been all over the place and had incredible things happening, all knowing about that Jesus loved me. And as I was sitting there with Timothy, I realized that, Every story that we were telling, everything we were talking about, we were talking about how we knew that Jesus loved us. That's what the conversation was about, how we know that Jesus loves us. So what is the great adventure? What are the big moments? To fall in love with Jesus, this is Augustine speaking, to fall in love with Jesus is the greatest of all romances. To seek him, the greatest of adventures. To find him, the greatest of human achievements. Knowing the love of Jesus. How did you find out that Jesus loved you? Or maybe you haven't experienced the love of Jesus yet in a, in a tangible, physical, practical way. We, I mean, we know that Jesus loves us. We sang the song earlier, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's why the song was on my heart as we were trying to sort out what to do during worship. First uh, John uh, 4.8 says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So we know that God is love because John 
John told us about it. He, he told us that God loves us. And so we remember from the scriptures, okay, that's who Jesus was. He was love. And so, so we know him, we know him that way, which is, which is great. Um, and then this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you've ever, you know, seen the sporting event with the guy with the sign, that's the verse. It's the most uh, often quoted and most well-known uh, verse in the scriptures. Uh, for God so loved the world. And so we know that God loved the world because we know about the sacrifice that he did. Right? That, that's part of how we know. So we know that theologically. We know it biblically and we know it theologically. But here's just a great question for us to ask. How did the disciples fall in love with Jesus? How did the disciples know that Jesus loved them? Because John wasn't able to read the book of John. Right? How did he know? Like, What were the moments that the penny dropped for him? What were the moments that the penny dropped for the disciples where they knew that Jesus was a God of love? Because it was really clear in the scriptures, uh, we see where they follow him, they respond to his power. They respond to the power of God in uh, the calming of the storm and in Jesus walking on water and in the miracles. They respond to the power of God and, and we know that's a big part of why they followed him. And that's a big part of why many of us as Christians follow God is because we know about his power. We know who he is. We know what he did for us. We, we know what he can do for us. We know how he exercises his might on our behalf. But how do we know that he has affection for us? How do we experience that affection? How do we know uh, that, that that's real? And, and one of the best places to look, uh, still in the Gospel of John, is the story of uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. The story of the resurrection of Lazarus is a story written, I mean, I mean, we're going to look at it in just a minute in terms of how this incredible thing happened that this uh, person, Lazarus, was, was raised from the dead by Jesus. And the, again, another act of his power. But what really happened that in, in, in between the lines of that story? Because there's a lot more coming out of it than just, just a, a miracle that, that we can see. And so we're just going to look at that. Um, uh, you know, just to place the story in context, uh, Jesus and his disciples, this is closer to the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's now gone to the other side of the Jordan. And I should have probably put a map up there, but what that means is he's gone off uh, east of the Jordan, which means that he's sort of technically outside of, of Judea. He's, he's sort of gone technically outside of the reach of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the people that are there to, uh, to sort of are causing him grief. He's later in his ministry. Uh, he's becoming a little bit uh, popular with the people. Uh, the leadership is feeling threatened by him. And so he just withdraws to this little place. It says in the scriptures uh, here, uh, just before uh, the beginning of verse 11 in chapter, um, before, sorry, the beginning of chapter 11 in, in the book of John, it, it says, um, and Jesus was out uh, where John was baptizing near Elon Salim on the other side of the Jordan. So Jesus just went back to the place where he was baptized on the other side of the Jordan and, and they just rested for a while. Like, let's get out of Dodge. Let's let things cool down for a little while. And of course, we know Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. He knows what's about to, to come on him. We're getting close to the triumphal entry and to the, um, the, 
the crucifixion of Jesus and the Garden of Gethsemane and, and all of that. But he just pulls the disciples away, uh, gets them out of Dodge, takes them out of town, and says, let's just chill, let's just take some time together. And so they're there, and they're chilled out. And it comes to Jesus' attention at that time, uh, that, uh, and that's because Martha comes and talks to him and says, listen, the person that you love, that, that, the one that you love, and she's referring to Lazarus, is really sick. He's really sick. And, and the disciples at that moment, you know, you can just hear what they're, what they're thinking. Man, we're here. We're in a safe place. Uh, people are coming to you, Jesus. We're not traveling anymore. Our feet aren't sore. Uh, we're not working. We're getting a break. Everybody's just coming to you now. We're in a safe place. We're out of the jurisdiction of these guys that are trying to kill us. It's a good place. It's great. Don't go. Like, Jesus, don't go heal another person over there. Like, like, come on, like, like, just give it a rest to Jesus. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like, you've just had enough. Like, you've just had enough, right? You've just, you're just done. You're just tired. And that's sort of the place at which the disciples were. And we see it, you know, right here in the text in, in chapter 11. I'm um, just really leading up to where we're going to start in, in, in the scriptures. And they say, but, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back? Like, come on, like, why? Why would you go where they're going to throw stones at you? And, and you know when they throw stones at you, sometimes they hit us, right? And isn't that a lot of what our resistance to following Jesus is? Where Jesus has taken some serious hits, and I don't want to take any hits. I, I don't want to experience this. This isn't comfortable. This isn't nice. Uh, so they say they're going to take stones at you. And then Jesus has more conversation uh, with the with the ladies and and uh, he he says to them, I want to tell you plainly to you disciples. Uh, you know, I'm I'm talking about Jesus being asleep here. I'm talking about him, or sorry, of Lazarus being asleep here. But but he's dead, guys. We we've got to go. We've got to go. And then Thomas says this in verse 16. He says to the disciples, uh, Let's go so that we may die with him. So isn't that just such an encouraging little piece in the scriptures, an encouraging uh, little moment in the life of the disciples? Man, okay, Jesus, we're going to go with you so we can just die with you. I mean, I've got a really a lot of faith for a positive outcome here. Uh, I think this is going to work out great. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we're going to have a great time. Um, and they're trying to convince Jesus that, no, you don't have to go. You know, if he's just sleeping, he'll get better. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead. We've got to go. We've got to go. And so they go. And we pick up the story here, uh, skipping ahead. Again, you could do a three-part series on this on this one text. Uh, we go to John chapter 1132, and I'm just going to read this and pray. I always like to pray before we read the scriptures. Uh, Lord, I ask that this uh, would enrich us. I ask that your word would enliven us, that it would strengthen us, that we would be equipped by it and transformed by it, that our hearts would be open to it, that even if all we ever did was just read your word, and, and I didn't say a single word about it, just the reading of your word would be transformative. Your word has power, and we accept that power. We accept it, God, in our lives. Transform us through the scriptures. Amen. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, and Jesus had come partway to where they were. 
She said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother uh, would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her uh, were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, the, but, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And what an amazing thing for the disciples to see that. What an amazing thing for the disciples to see uh, this person. Uh, and, and I don't know what that was like when they cracked open that tomb. But was there a smell? Was there not a smell? What was that like? Like, come on. I think there was a smell. That was Lazarus wanted to get out. Right? Lazarus wanted to get out. And he comes out. Uh, I just want to bring your attention to this little uh, painting um, by an artist named Darlene Sachs. Uh, and I just love that uh, this little piece is just a side note. Every time and then when I'm, uh, when, I'm, when I'm preaching and preparing, I come across little art pieces that I like. And I like this, this sort of sleepy-looking dark eyes of Lazarus. And just, it's almost like the, just that moment of glimmer where, where he's coming alive and he's coming awake. And, and aren't some of us just in that place? in our lives where, where we've been asleep and we've been broken, we've been tired and we're, and we're dead and Jesus is just bringing us back to life. Uh, this is a, a picture of the tomb uh, that, uh, that supposedly was the tomb that Lazarus was in, just to give you an idea of what that was like. Uh, sort of carved out of a cave and with stones uh, rolled over it, similar to the tomb uh, of Jesus. And so from the text, what do we see? What's in this from the disciples? What's in this? Uh, for them. Uh, first, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, uh, it's important for us to recognize who Mary was. Uh, Mary was, and we see this uh, a little bit earlier in the text, Mary was the, the woman who came to Jesus when he was gathered at the Pharisee's house, and she broke through uh, this sort of group of men, and she uh, came and she took uh, some perfume. And she broke it at Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair, and she was a prostitute. So first things first, we have this incredibly intimate story of uh, Jesus and this family that he loves, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And, and, and one of the th reasons that the disciples were not wanting to have that relationship, like don't go back to them. It's, it wasn't even just go, don't go back where the Jews uh, want to kill you it was don't go back to this lady's house like she's not good for your reputation 
Like she's, she's not good for your rep, but Jesus always went to the people who were, who were marginalized and the people who were broken. And this whole story, this story of the disciples, uh, we see in, in the text that the disciples are observing this, but it's a story really about the women who were uh, connected with Jesus. And, 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 and from, a, from a historical standpoint, for a writer in that time and place uh, to write something about uh, women with them as the central characters in a story like that is just, it's astounding. It's astounding, but, but all through the Gospels we see these places where women are, are brought front and center. The women were the first people to witness uh, Jesus' resurrection, right? You know, nobody who was intentionally writing a history to try to get people to build a case in that time and place to make a case for the resurrection of Jesus would make uh, women the primary eyewitnesses, right? But the Gospels bring the women to the forefront. So just for you ladies, just, just you need to know that Jesus sees you and he knows you and he has a plan for you and he loves you and he has a purpose for you. You're front and center in his story. That this is not just a, a man's story. This is a story for for, for you guys uh, too. So Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not die. Have any of you felt that level of disappointment and that level of brokenness that something you've planned or something you've wanted to see happen or something you've imagined uh, you could be protected from happened to you? How many times has there been something that's happened in your life that you you wish you could have been protected from, but you, you weren't, it happened. Thinking uh, Wissing family about your parents' barn burning down. They're, they're wonderful Christians. They're, they're people who serve and who love. This isn't, isn't a recent event in case any of you are, are immediately concerned, but wonderful Christians, youth leaders, uh, servants of Jesus, uh, their barn should have like a dome around it of protection, right? The, the non-inferno dome. Or something, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what you call it. Should have been protected, but but an accident happened, and their and their barn burnt down. And you, as Christians, have, have experienced so many times in your life where where you feel like you should experience that protection of God, but but something happened, and something broke through that, and something happened uh, that hurts you. And so we come to Jesus with that pain, and we say, uh, uh, Jesus, why did this happen? If if you had been here, if you'd done something. If you fix this, uh, Jesus, uh, I wouldn't be experiencing this pain. And so when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had also come with her along were weeping, Jesus said, buck up, little camper. Like, chill out. Don't you know that I'm sovereign God of all the universe? And uh, you should really just be okay with this. Like, just be okay with my decisions, people. I'm the king of the universe, and you're just going to have to deal. Is that what it says in the text? Not at all. What does Jesus do? It says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that should bake our noodle just a little bit, theologically. How is the God who knows everything, who sees everything, before it happened, who sees the whole universe laid out before him from the beginning to the end, and every moment of it is present to him in the, in the majesty of, of his omniscience. How is it that he was moved in spirit and deeply troubled? Because of his compassion and love. And what theologian, theologian, theologians, what theologians call this is the self-limitation of God. 
God ties himself and his heart and his emotions to us in his love so that he feels the things that we feel. And so the disciples got to see Jesus deeply moved and troubled. And, and he, he said, they said, come and see, Lord. Come and see. Come and see this thing that's happened. Like, not come and fix it anymore. Not come and do something with it anymore. Just, just come and see what's happened. Come and see my brother. Uh, come and see the tomb. That's where he is. Jesus, you failed. Jesus, you screwed up. You messed it up. I'm, I'm feeling all of this pain. And, and, but all of a sudden, Jesus is feeling that pain with them. All of a sudden, Jesus has entered into it with them. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. And we have that, uh, we owe that, and I almost never draw our attention to something uh, that some scribe in the Middle Ages has done. But, but somewhere in the Middle Ages, when they were breaking these things up into, into verses, somebody said, this is important. We're going to give this these two words their own verse. We want everybody to notice this. Of all of the stuff we're writing here, this is the thing we don't want anybody to miss. Jesus wept. Full stop. Jesus wept. The immutable, unchangeable, omniscient, omnipotent creator of the whole universe in that moment wept. Now does that sound like the God you know? Does that sound like the big high and holy policeman in the sky that we're terrified of most of the time? He wept. He wept. So the Jews said this. They responded. They said, see how he loved him. See how he loved them. And, th and this is what was noticed by the people in the time. And the story goes on, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, this sense, Jesus, you failed. Like, you missed it. Like, what were you doing? It says earlier in the text that Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick, and he just hung around for a couple more days. Like, I'm just going to chill out here for a couple more days. I know he's sick, but we've got work to do. People have needs. We're going to get to him. And, and as the disciples are coming to Jesus earlier in the text and saying, or rather the, the women are coming to Jesus earlier in the text saying, Let, let's deal with this. Uh, come and pray for my brother. Come and heal him. He's saying, uh, you know what? There's a story to unfold here. This, this sickness is not going to end in death. It's just going to take a brief pit stop there. Right? But he didn't tell them that. Just a small pit stop in death, right? Uh, but they, so they, they could not he, he have opened this man. Like he failed. Like he got the schedule wrong. He missed the train schedule. Like, he, he got the wrong flight. Like, he really should have gone Air Canada, not WestJet. You know, whatever it is. He, he just messed up the schedule. He didn't show up. And Jesus was once more deeply moved. Right? He's responding now to this, this sense that they're, they're placing this sense of failure on him. He's responding to it. Now he's responding to uh, their, their unbelief. Oh, man, I, it breaks my heart that they, they don't see who I am yet that they don't yet know uh, who I am. And so it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And we saw that picture of it earlier. And imagine Jesus just standing there uh, before that stone, deeply moved. And I, and I don't know what his voice was like in that moment, but I sort of imagine him being a little bit choked up. I imagine him being a little bit broken. Take away the stone. Take away the stone. Right? 
He's deeply moved in this moment. And we imagine uh, Jesus being this voice of authority and power and untouchability. Take away the stone. But that's not it. It's the Jesus who is deeply moved, doing this incredible act of power. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord Martha said, uh, sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad over odor. Uh, he's been there for days. He's been there for four days. Like, don't do it. It's over, okay? We're going to get over this. We're going to be okay. Like, just let the sleeping man lie. Just let him stay. Just, 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 just let it go, Jesus. Just let it go. Uh, we're angry at you. We're frustrated with you. Um, and Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they, they did what disciples do, and they, they obeyed him. I don't understand. I don't want you to do this. It's going to smell. It's not going to be nice, but, but would you, would you, we'll do it. Okay, you, you said so, we'll do it. And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up to the Father. He says, as Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You know, why did he say that? Well, he explains it right here. Uh, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Right? Jesus is, is now we're seeing that Jesus is sort of pointing out to them that what he's been doing through this entire encounter has been, uh, has been a parable. And, and you'll notice it in the book of John. Jesus doesn't tell any parables. There's not a single parable in the book of John. There's parables in Matthew. There's parables in Mark. There's parables in Luke. But in, in the book of John, what Jesus does is the parable. Everything that Jesus does in the book of John is the parable. And so this is the parable. Uh, this phrase, but I said this, uh, isn't just I said these words here in this moment. Those words that I just said, that's what I heard. Uh, that, that word in the Greek uh, really refers to uh, the ending of laying an argument to rest bringing a play to a closure, uh, moving uh, events to a conclusion. So what he's really saying is all of this that I've said, all of this that I've done, I've done for the benefit of you standing here. I wanted you to see my heart. I wanted you to see me weep. I wanted you to see me broken. I wanted you to see that I loved you. I wanted you to see that I loved Lazarus. Uh, I'm disclosing myself to you. The God who didn't have to do any of that opened up so that everybody could see this incredible relationship that he has with the Father. Uh, we imagine, we look at Jesus' prayer time in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, weeping and, and dripping uh, tears of blood in that garden. So, so he opens up for the disciples this incredible relationship he has with God that's full of, uh, of, of crying, that's full of weeping, that's full of an emotional connection. And all of a sudden, we see in Jesus the God who weeps. We see in Jesus the God who, when your, your dog dies and you're broken and you're tired and you're hurting, he weeps with you. We see in Jesus the, the God who, when a loved one passes on and you're in that moment of absolute brokenness and fear and, 
and loneliness, that he's there in that moment lonely with you. We see uh, the God who enters into uh, the fear that you experience when you lose your job. We see that he's uh, the God who's with you in, in the darkest moments of your life and that he's not just the God who's there as the steady, immovable, immutable, unchanging presence, though he is all of that. He's the God who is high and holy and magnificent and powerful who's there crying with you. And we see this. Uh, he says, uh, when he had sent, said this, Jesus called out in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And that's all we have of the story. Like, is that not an anticlimactic end to an incredible story? Like, we don't have uh, the, the, the women, like, jumping up and down and freaking out and shouting for joy. We don't have the crowd cheering. We don't have the crowd gathering. We don't have this incredible uh, full experience of, of, you know, you know that cheesy, super cheesy scene that I absolutely hate at the end of the Lord of the Rings movie? where everybody's prancing about and bouncing about on Frodo's bed at the end, and Merry and Pippin come in. How many of you have seen that? Okay, I'm probably going to ruin this movie for you, but I think that's the worst scene ever. I think it's terrible. Like, it's all, like, soft and backlit and diffusion filter, and Merry and Pippin are like, oh! You know, like, they're all, like, hugging, and, like, it's a terrible scene. Like, Jesus omits that from this story or the writer John omits that from this story we don't get that resolution because what he wants us to see still is the act of power Lazarus raised from the dead by a God who weeps we cannot connect with just the power of God we have to connect with the love of God and everything that you do for him if it's if it's just filled with a response uh, to to his his strength, if it's just filled with the response to his might, and that and those are absolutely true things about him. But if you have not experienced uh, the Jesus who wept, then you're missing one of the greatest adventures of your life. You're missing one of the greatest moments of your life. Why do we love Jesus? Because he's strong because he's powerful, because he's mighty. What does it say in John 4? We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Jesus loves you with affection, with passion, with identification, uh, with your wounding and with your brokenness. He's tied his own heart to the fickle state of your own emotions. And he lets himself respond to that because he is a loving and kind and compassionate God. So that's my, that's my punchline, really. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> right? That's the response, right, that we see. Isn't that a God you can believe in? Isn't that a God you can follow? Isn't that a God that you can give your life to? And as you respond 
to the love of the God who wept, others can follow you as you follow him. That's how the kingdom grows. It has to be fueled by the love of God. And so my prayer for you, and we can all just stand. I know this has gone long. We took quite a long time with the, uh, um, with the volunteer uh, work that we did earlier. Normally the service wouldn't go quite this long. Um, but, uh, you know, some of us here maybe haven't, haven't had an experience of the love of God. We have, we, and, it, and it's good, you know, to follow him because you've come to a theological understanding of, of the fact that he's real and that he's powerful and that he's forgiving and that he died for you uh, on the cross. Um, and you sort of might understand his love intellectually, but uh, those moments that those women had of experiencing the love of God uh, personally, of experiencing him weeping uh, with them and for them, uh, th- those are moments that, that we're meant to experience here in, in the real world. We're not meant to just believe in him intellectually. We're meant to know him, uh, what he feels, what, he, what, he, what he, he experiences as we experience him. And so I'm just going to ask you to open your hands with me and, and embrace that adventure, that sort of pinnacle of, of, of the adventure, those, those important moments in your life to experience uh, for yourself uh, as a, I've experienced the, the deep love of God in a tangible way. Father, I just pray for everyone here who's not experienced your, your love, who's not known that you really love them. In the days to come, would they uh, be able to open themselves up to an encounter with you that touches uh, beyond their intellect and, and reaches to the heart? We would be people who are disciples, who are followers of you, who, who follow you uh, heart to heart, head to head, face to face, foot to foot, moment by moment, uh, feeling what you feel, knowing what you know. Would you make this relationship uh, so much more than we've experienced? Would you let each person here have an encounter with the love of God this week? That they would know in the deepest part of them that you uh, weep with them, that you laugh with them, that you celebrate with them, you grieve with them, whatever it is, that we would know uh, in our hearts your great, never-ending impossibly big love. We give our lives to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.